This is the Two Spies Podcast, studying the Bible in a different way. What does the verse say? What is the topic being addressed? How does this affect me today? Go deeper in Scripture. Now the conversation begins with your hosts, David and Mark. We led up to, on the last podcast, Abraham, and tried to start talking about that. Just, I guess, to recap why we're going, or, I mean, we're going to Abraham because he's next. <laughs> but kind of the, kind of the yeah. concepts that we stopped with him was that we looked at, uh, we followed Nimrod to Nineveh and all the uh, Mesopotamian cities that he started and went through Babylon a little bit. We looked at Jonah and, and Nahum to see how they fell and kind of established the idea that God never really wanted us in cities. So God was saying, <laughs> right. come out of the city, come out of the city, come out of the city. Nimrod is the one saying, everybody come in the city. And then he says, as we go back and look at the story of uh, Tower of Babel, I'm on the wrong page. I think the fan blew my. <laughs> as we go back and look at the Tower of Babel in uh, Genesis 11 and kind of look at that whole issue there of what happened at man's city. Right. We come to the end of Genesis 11. We reach uh, Abram and beginning of 12, God says, go out of the city, leave the city. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at now, and uh, and we're going to kind of do Abraham. Take it away, little, Mark. A little bit different than how we've been kind of going from chapter to chapter with Genesis. Yeah. Abram, we're just kind of taking his story, and we'll be talking about it, dissecting it, and just kind of going until we <laughs> see fit to stop. Abram um, is a character like I have said, the King's List. Must I mean King's List is uh, something you refer back to all the time, really? Right. Abram throughout the Bible is somebody you refer back to all the time. There's a lot that comes off this man's yeah. existence. Yeah, we might be here for a while because there's a <laughs> lot of covenants going on, and yeah. even in the New Testament. So, all right. Well, to hit back, kind of go back to Genesis 11, where it really begins with uh, verse 27, where it talks about Terah, his father. Um, I'm just going to say a few things. Um, <clears throat> I do find it interesting. I in my notes I put that uh based on Terah and his family and, and Abram's journey, I put that it seemed like they were keeping the focus that um was left from Noah, that these people were not associated with the people that were doing all the wrongs, that they were keeping together on the relationship with God, but then you shared that story. Yeah, you're saying this is the righteous line of Seth, right? <laughs> 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 yes. The story of uh, Abraham's daddy. <laughs> yes. Uh, but then you shared the opposite story about the idol thing. Yeah. So, um, you mean give that now? Yeah, why not? I, and I told Mark, I don't know, I don't remember where I read this. It's in some commentary book somewhere, but it's, it's uh, basically an old, uh, I guess, a rabbinic story or a belief or whatever about uh, Abraham. I, I guess I could say it this way in my Dead Sea Scrolls book right here. If you want to go reading something, one of the things they'll tell you about is rewritten Bible. Not that it's rewritten as in we changed a bunch of stuff, but as in the uh, the guys that lived at the Qumran Caves would basically say, we're going to write Genesis again as we go along. We have some of these folk tales and stories and extra traditions that we understand or believe or think is true about Abraham's daddy. We're going to write that in right here. So we're rewriting the Bible by inserting a new piece. They were not trying to pass it off like it's uh, inspired scripture. They're just saying, we think it should be included together so you can read it in a straight line, that kind of thing. But this is one of those traditional stories about Torah that you're not going to find in the Bible. But supposedly it goes that uh, he's, he's, uh, 
Abram's daddy Terah was a idol maker or idol seller, and he had a store full of idols. He goes on some trip, leaves Abraham in charge of the store, and when he comes back, the whole place is smashed to bits. Every single idol is crushed and on the floor in broken pieces, except one which he saves in his overstanding in the corner, and he took the bat that he used or whatever, his stick or whatever he used to knock all the other ones over, and he put it in that one's hand. So when his dad comes back, he's yelling at him, he's mad, and he's, uh, he's of course, knowing that Abram did it. And he says, I didn't do it. And he points at that idol and says, he did it. And, of course, his dad doesn't believe him because he knows the truth is that idol can't move and that idol didn't do it. And the longer he realizes he can't be mad at Abram because it's obvious right. that he did it, but he's also proving a major point, then I guess this would also go along with, with one of the rabbinic traditions that Abraham actually was a uh, – What's the word? A single God believer. He was monotheistic. He was monotheistic. Thank you. He was monotheistic before uh, anyone else. He's the first monotheist. That is interesting. I like the story. I think it's funny. Yeah. It makes a good point. But either um, way, and it's just, I mean, the last detail there, Abraham's dad knows, of course, that one can't move to swing the bat. <laughs> and he knows the other ones can't move to defend themselves. So none of them can move. None of them are anything. They're just clayton. <laughs> junk yeah but and i also put that um abram was pro or Terah was probably about 130 years old when abram was born the simple math is um Terah died when he was 205 and abram was set out um when he was 75 so you kind of do the math it's roughly 130 years old when yeah. abram was born um Terah was born in the ur of i don't know how you say that name Chaldeans, Chaldeans. Chaldee, the, the Hebrew is Kasdin. No, the, so I didn't look at that. Not even close to the English that we use, so it doesn't really matter how we say it. It's always wrong. Or Chaldeans. I've actually heard people say Chaldeans. The Chaldees. But, uh, anyway, and I also put, you know, Abraham's not the oldest. We don't know if he's the second born or the youngest, but he's definitely not the oldest. Yeah. So, and then kind of breaking down to the cities, um, Ur, um, I was doing some little, little looking in Ur, and I know you were too, and I'll just kind of share my few things, and then you can go yours. Uh, I put it was a great city. It was very cultured, sophisticated, and powerful. It had multiple gods, which kind of goes along with your idol theory. But That's, that's already a lot more than I had. <laughs> <laughs> a lot better than what I had. The chief guy was Nana, or Sin, which was the moon god. Yeah. Um, they found some tablets that dealt with religion, education, history. Um, and on the tablets, they were finding that these people were very educated. They learned how to um, divide, um, add, and they even learned square roots. Um, so these people were very learning how to educate themselves um, through numbers. I haven't learned that yet. <laughs> <laughs> my, me and my wife were watching a show, and and she she just like kind of gazed at me because the question was like, um, "What's nine times seven? And I spit out the answer, and she just kind of looked at me. And she's like, "How do you know that? I learned it in like elementary Anything school." Anything times nine remember. is the other number minus one, <laughs> and the number beside it's got to equal nine if you add them together. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Those are a lot easier yeah. than eights and sixes. You just learn; it's just part <laughs> of it. But um, also put that. Also found that a lot of their homes were two stories with ten to twenty rooms per house, 
and that they found two statues. They're all sitting rooms. They're all sitting rooms. <laughs> They're all like three by three. Tea rooms. <laughs> and uh, they found a statue in one of the graves, which was a ram and uh, caught in a thicket. Hey, I saw that in your notes you sent me. That's an interesting yeah. deal. What is what is the history behind that? Do you know? They just – the archaeologists were there kind of just browsing around trying to figure out the history and stuff and – because a lot of archaeologists will look at the Bible and try to figure out if it was true or figure out more details about the area. Yeah. And in one of this, in one of these graves, there was like a lot of skeletons, a lot of you know bodies. Just it was just a big graveyard. And then there was like a little statue of a goat, just kind of like caught in a thicket. And then they found another one somewhere else in that area. So they found two. But, That's odd. So we think about time frame of when that happened as far as Abraham's life in Genesis 22. Yeah. We think Isaac is around thirties when that happens, teenage to thirties. I've, I've tried looking for the math to actually lay it out and say, okay, he's this age. There's, there's not anything to nail it down with. Yeah. But, uh, again, tradition says blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but yeah. if you do all that together though, uh, if Abraham leaves that place and you look at a map all the way from, from Babylon all the way over to promised land where this happens in on, on Mount Moria, then how does that concept bleed back unless it's some kind of universal concept? That's, I don't know. That is a good idea. Uh, I've been listening to some guys on another podcast and, uh, I don't like everything he says by far, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he wants to be wrong, that's that's, that's his problem. <laughs> no, really. He'll be here to come correct Yeah, him. no, really. Uh, he talks about, and it's, it is true, doesn't mean the Bible's copying everything else you've heard. And we've, we've talked about this, some of this already. Yeah. But that all these Mesopotamian stories and, and archetype stories flow through cultures and get different names, et cetera. I haven't heard that. And it makes me wonder if there is a ram in a thicket archetype story somewhere that flow is flowing through like old Gilgamesh type stuff or whatever, right. that kind of thing. But I haven't come across that before that detail. You got anything on Ur? Ur. It's a weird city name, but it means flame, flaming no. or to light. I didn't, I, I didn't even look at it. That's interesting. Ur uh, on the Genesis one five. And God said, Yehi or the Yehi or he said, be light and light was. So or, ur, same thing. Hmm. The little dot for the pronunciation moves, otherwise it's spelled the same. So, Chaldee or Chaldeans, what you got on that? Oh, nothing. Okay. I went back and grabbed a little bit of something I've done in the past because, uh, and I'll start out here with Job 1 because I did some work with uh, Job 1. It seems to be maybe... I think I've already been through this class, so it wasn't now. It seemed to have been a seminary thing to challenge students in Old Testament classes whether or not Job is a parable or an actual story. Really? Were you ever challenged by that by a teacher? Mm-mm. This was a uh, preacher I had a while back basically taught the fact that it was an issue to debate. He stood on the parable side and... I flat think that's the dumbest thing in the world. There's too many exact details. So I thought all these people, I'm going to, I'm going to trace Job out. I'm going to place Job, but in placing Job, I had to first go place the Sabians place, uh, 
the Chaldeans place Ur because he's he's from uh is he from Ur? He's not his Ur is Us Uts. Mm-hmm. He's from Uts. And you go place that out and trace who that it was and where that land possibly is. Just doing all that work together, um, you start running across different things that all, like if there's there's multiple oots in the Bible, right. there's three of them. And as you do your work with the Sabians and the Chaldeans and with all his friends and where they're from, they start, that starts nearing down your time frame as to when it is. So uh, I work in, my work in that on the Chaldeans starts basically, uh, Chaldeans is Kasdim. Job one seventeen, while he was yet speaking, so there was already a servant that had come to Job to tell him his kids had died or his donkeys had died, one or the other. While he was yet speaking, there came another servant and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took, took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So my questions and what I had written, then I'll just kind of read it straight out. Who were the Chaldeans? First of all, they were uh, the very, and I'm writing this not in relation to Abraham, so I'm overlapping details here, but they were the very people group that Abraham came from. He was born and raised among them in a town called Ur of the Chaldeans. He was a Chaldean. The term Chaldean is interchanged as a synonym throughout the Old Testament prophets for Babylonians. That's uh, from 2 Kings 25, Isaiah 13, 43, 47, 48. Through Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, they all kind of interchange these two names for the same people group or same place back and forth. So get this, Abraham was a Babylonian. So we say, as New Testament Christians think about biblical context of the word Babylonians, we think, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> so not at all, I don't think, because I, I had put that down then thinking that, but as I look at it, uh, a little more in dating. Let me finish this lo- little paragraph here, and then we'll kind of try to put these dates in order. Uh, so Abraham sprung out of them, and they were still around and had become a powerhouse, a conquering country, by the time of the kings of Israel. So this time uh, this time span opens them up to anywhere from, and we're opening up the Chaldeans, anywhere from 2009, when we're, we're talking about dating Adam forward, AF dating. All right. 2009 is when Abraham was born, to 3639 when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. So this could further be split down between the Chaldean dynasty and the the Assyrian dynasty. Uh, So if Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple in 586 B.C., then Abram was born in 2216 B.C. So here's my thing then. Uh, AF dating 2000 or... uh, Adam forward, 2009 is Abraham's birth. And that forward, 3639, 3,639 years from Adam to the destruction of the temple, that would be that date. Well, 3639 FA or AF is uh, 586 BC. That's when uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. So that dates us together with the, the AFs and the BCs. So the rise of, and that, that's why we get 2216 for uh, B.C. for Abraham's birth. But the rise of Babylon, this is something we just did recently. We were looking at the Assyrians. Right. Look at the end of Assyria and the rise of Babylon that helped do that. We talked all about Nico coming up from Egypt. Mm-hmm. He was too late to help the, the Assyrians against the Babylonians, so both of them were squashed. But just the detail that we had then, 
After the death of Ashurbanipal, which was circa 631 BC, Nabopolassar seized power at Babylon, breaking free from the Assyrian rule. So, point is, this is not the Babylon that, that Abraham is from. This is not the Babylon we think of. It's about, uh, let's see, just rough 16, it's 600 years earlier before Nebuchadnezzar rose up to actually become something and say, hey, it's time to do this. Before that, it seems if they were, if it was Ur of the Chaldees, it was a city of these group of people. I guess the Chaldees are big enough to be called something, but they seem to be under Assyrian rule until they rise up and take power at the death of one particular Assyrian king. Now's our chance. Let's jump. And that was 631 BC. Right. So. Well, they were, Daniel uh, took place in Babylon. Yeah. And it refers to the people there as the Chaldeans, correct? Mm, I'm not sure about that. Let's just do a search right quick. Okay. Chaldeans, specifically Daniel. <laughs> Okay, yep. Ten times. I'm still looking. Daniel 1, 4. Uh, they were taken into the king's palace to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. 2, 2. The Chaldeans were summoned to tell the king his dreams. Well, excuse me. The, the, the king commanded that magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned. Then the Chaldeans is 2-4. That was 2-2. Two, two. I think I said 2-4, but 2-4. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans. So, yeah, they're, they're called that a lot. What I'm thinking it looks like to me, most of the places I'm reading it, is the Chaldeans are a people group and Babylon is an area. So if we had like uh, South Carolinians and Americans, I am a South Carolinian. I live in South Carolina, which is part of America. I am also an American. No. So I'm just guessing that in that analogy, Babylon is America. Well, in a lot of analogies, Babylon is America. <laughs> <laughs> but the Chaldeans would be South Carolina. The South Carolinians <laughs> there. <laughs> Anything else on the Chaldeans? Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> No, just the point of that this is not the Babylon we think of at the time that Abraham was living there. Right. And that that was basically the main thing. Just just uh did a little little dating there to place it. I also looked at Heron the city. Um I put like it was more likely not named after Heron the son of Terah. Um because there's two different Hebrew spellings and because Heron died before they even journeyed to that city. So it was more likely not uh, named after the sun. Um, Heron was also um, at a crossroads of trading routes. So it was a very busy city. So a lot of trading went through the city. Um, so it was a good place. Um, and I just put, you know, things that will eventually get there, but Jacob's well is here. Um, Rebecca came from here. Um, so there's a lot of significance in this city. Oh, this word, this verb was in uh, Jonah. 
this verb was in Jonah somewhere. Harar. The 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 uh, you're right. The spellings are different. Haran is uh, basically starts with a he, and the city name Haran starts with a he. There's about you know a, a ink blot worth of difference difference in the spelling there, but the the verb root of Haran is harar to burn, to be hot, be scorched, or be charred. Hmm. It still means mountaineer. I, mean, I wonder if it was just like a really hot area. Sure. <laughs> Surely so. Surely you jest. I'm being serious and don't call me Shirley. Okay, so the name of uh, Haran also means mountaineer, but the the root is Har, or Har, just mountain or hill. And it's stopping and saying it's a root, stopping on a noun. Usually the roots don't stop on nouns. They usually stop on verbs. Either way. Mm. <clears throat> okay, we, we beat that horse. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I'm into Abram. You, I was going to grab Abram right now. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, Abram is exalted father. It would actually be Abram put together. Ab is the same word we know for like uh, Jesus cries on the cross. Abba, Ram. Yeah, I knew a guy. He used to have a uh, an Arabic friend, or I guess he was from an Arabic family. He went to school with, but his name was Ram, R A M. He, he and he actually, of course, being in America, he would just tell people to pronounce it Ram. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, Are you a Dodge or Ford? <laughs> My name is Ram. What do you think? Ram comes from room, which means to raise up, to be high, or to be lofty. So the first mention of this is of the, uh, twice in Genesis seven seventeen. Uh, the waters increased, that's room, and the ark rose high above the earth, that's room, again. Two different forms of just for you know conjugation's sake, but anything else on Abraham or Abram? I didn't do Abraham, I did Abram. Right. Well, I'll put, um, I just... Again, staying in chapter 11 real quick. I know we're not doing chapter by chapter, but um, I was just kind of going, picking out things. Yeah. Um, I put Sarai was barren. And in that culture of having no children really meant that you're under a curse. Um, God blessed families to multiply. So if you're not multiplying, then there's some kind of curse upon you. Um, So she carried a lot of pain, a lot of guilt or whatever is going on with her. And I put that, I wonder if that was the reason why they decided to even leave where they were to go somewhere else. I mean, that's a little far-fetched, but... I don't think it was, it's far-fetched. I think that's a, that's a good reason I've never noticed before. I was just kind of curious as to why. Yeah. And then... Because um, you need to think about they left before he was told to leave. Right. Uh, I've just noticed that detail right there. He was not told to leave from Ur of Chaldees. Mm-mm. So they left on their own for their, their own purpose and reason, and I think you've got a, a really good reason there to, to possibly look at. And then uh, I just wrote down that he took Lot with them um, since <clears throat> Lot's father, Heron, uh, passed away. So there seems to be some kind of, I mean, I guess it's in that culture, but, you know, your family, you're tight-knit, you're strong. Um, you're not just going to leave and abandon, but yeah. you're working together. So um, for whatever reason, if it was the reason because Sarah was barren and, you know, people would look down upon her or whatever, they are now migrating uh 
to the next place. Yeah, somewhere else. Yeah, they went somewhere else. <laughs> uh, I grabbed Canaan last. Canaan Lowland from Kana to be humbled, to be brought low, or to be brought into subjection. Hmm. So just looking at it all together, Ur, Haran, Canaan. Ur, fire, Haran, mountain, Canaan, low. Abraham came out of the fire. He went to the mountain, but but there he suffered loss. That's where his dad died. Then he went to the lowland, became humbled, and was blessed. It's kind Mm -hmm. of a neat neat picture in the words there. So I was going to kind of head out from there on Abram's faith. You got anything you want to say before? Uh, Well, I'll I'll say a few things real quick. Um, But, you know, God tells Abram to leave his land and his family to go wherever he shows. Um, Again, you have this family. They're tight-knit. They just left together to go to this place. And then God tells Abram, hey, I want you to go by yourself to the land I show you to the unknown. Um, God says, I'll make you a great nation. Again, here we already see God's promise um, that Sarai is childless, but God's promising that there's going to be children involved because if God's saying, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be a great nation. Well, how are you going to be a great nation if you don't have any kids? Yeah. Um, and Lot's not really a part of that, which we'll see in a second. Um, so God's blessing upon them to make have children, um, make Abram's name great so he can be a blessing to others. Verse 3 in, in chapter 12, um, dishonor uh, in the Hebrew means insignificant, belittle, or despise, which is, you know, just a little bit of a different way to word dishonor. Um, when it talks about curse, curse has nothing to do with time. When God says... Um, if you dishonor or belittle um, Israel or this nation that God's going to make, which is eventually Israel, yeah. Um, if if you are uh, if you belittle or dishonor this nation, God's going to curse you, and you see it all the time where nations are constantly rising up against Israel, and you wonder, well, God, then God may not exist, or God's slow to keeping His promise. But curses have nothing to do with time frame, especially with God. God doesn't deal with necessarily timetable he deals did on his time see that there's two different words for curse here i did not Cloud well, be interesting. And huh. so the first one is uh and the one who curses you kalal to be slight be swift be trifling be of little account to be light it's, it sounds bad but not like really bad and then the other one is what God says he'll do in return. <laughs> so those who kalal you, I will arar. Arar is to curse. Uh, the lay under a curse, put a curse on. I mean, it sounds heavy and, and real cut and dried. It's not about the flavor <laughs> yeah. of this. I'm going to curse you. That's I haven't seen that before, but oh, you know, two different words. For, because those who bless you, who barak you, I will barak them too. But those who kalal you, I will arar them. <laughs> not giving you right conjugation and stuff there, but just the base right, words. Right, well, that is interesting. The two different levels of curse. If you if you belittle Israel, I'm going to curse you. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to come on heavy against you. Yeah. So there is a. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you want to go back to what we talked about before the podcast, um, where I talked about families refers to extended family of Abram. 
if you want to really talk about that with I Ishmael. do want to talk about it. Um, do you want to wait? I wasn't going to jump into it yet, but if you you know if you'll excuse me for poking around in my let me let me go a little ways here and then bring that sure, in. I think sure. it'll it segue nice. Sure, we'll come back. Uh, so I was going to go with Abram's faith. Uh, Abram is regarded as the father of the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and Islam also claims him as the father of their faith. Right. So what kind of faith did he have is what, you know, the angle I was going towards just when I was thinking about his faith and I started looking at it, that's the question I came up with. You give it much more formal, but I was just thinking, really, out of nowhere, an invisible God's voice just says, <laughs> Abram, go to some place. I'm going to show you. What kind of, what? Yeah. What did you say? Who is this? Yeah. <laughs> Who's talking? <laughs> so he just packs up his stuff and, and goes. What is that? I don't know. I mean, trying to trying to get into the, the mind and the heart of the time and the moment and the place. That's yeah. uh, I know some people would probably question if it was audible. I personally believe it was audible. Yeah. Just like I believe when God spoke to Moses through the fire, I believe it was audible. Yeah. Um, I believe that's how just God dealt. I mean, you didn't have a written word or nothing. It was just God's voice, and you heard it. You just either obeyed or you didn't. But, yeah, Abraham didn't know where it came from. I mean, someone's talking like, to uh, him. Kind of like beginner's luck. When you first start gambling, you suddenly start hitting a lot of stuff. So you want to gamble more, and you, you don't have beginner's luck anymore. Eventually, it wears out. I, like, I mean, that's a bad example, maybe, but <laughs> but it's the same thing to me. Like when you uh, you first get saved, you're a completely different kind of believing Christian than you are after you've done it for a couple of years. Yeah, it starts to calm in you. It starts to become calm. But I mean, the very first thing you, when you first get saved is you're devouring this book. Most average Christians will devour the book just as much as they can. And then right. 10, 15 years later, they're not reading it anymore. I don't know why. I don't know why they've yeah. lost their – because I just let this go, let that go a little bit at a time. When they first get it, it's on hot, and God is like uh, – it seems like God really moves heavy in front of your eyes to show you, and he, he's almost feeding you faith, it seems. Hmm. And then later on, he expects you to step out and do something in faith that you feel he's leading you to do, and he's not being exact with you. <laughs> you know that kind of feeling? Yeah. You, you know God said it, but it's just like, did I think that, or did he tell me that? And then you do actually move out on it, and you see that it was him, and it grows your faith, but you're now growing your faith on your obedience, the actions of your obedience to his suggestions and pushings and urgings. Versus yeah. when you first got saved, he was almost in your face in comparison. Yeah, well, it makes me think of, um, you know, <clears throat> with me and kids, with my kids, um, you know, they, they have their own will and they're doing their own thing and they're growing. So you have to kind of, you know, feed them slowly, you know, what's right, what's wrong, even feed them slowly different kinds of foods. And so you're, 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 they still have their will, but you're kind of uh, teaching them, um, I guess your will or your way so they can adapt to it. And then you hope that when they get older, even again, they have their free choice and free decisions. You hope that they don't just do their own, but they remember what they're taught and that they were fed and kind of stay within the boundaries of your will. And I think God's the same way. You become a new Christian. He, um, I, I like, I like when you said that he feeds you, Faith, he he gives you those yeah. doses 
of things. And he's like, he's training you in a sense of here's, here's what's really right. And here's what's really wrong. Yeah. And this is what pleases me. And this is what will help you. Um, so, you know, he's teaching you the will. And then eventually as you grow and grow and grow, it's like, he's taking the training wheels off Yeah, and says, okay, you got a pedal now. So you can scratch your knees sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so he kind of lets you do your own thing. Point of all that though, and this analogy to me is that it, I think some of the guys in the old Testament, like Abraham, like Noah, mm-hmm. for Noah to build this massive ship, like he did. Do you think he was wondering if he thought it or if it was an audible voice? I'm sure he did at some point. I, I really, my, in my opinion, I think most likely it, God made it real plain to him. Hey, I really am telling you, build this boat. You're not a crazy nut. I really am speaking <laughs> to you out loud. Yeah. Maybe even some form of visual <laughs> manifestation at some point, visitations possibly to say, this is real. Actually be busy about what I'm telling you to do. And then Abraham, like uh, everybody's worshiping everything crazy. I am actually real. I think he lays it, possibly lays it on heavy. And I guess we could say this likens over like New Testament. Uh, the first people to lie to the Holy Spirit fall over dead. Yeah. So has nobody ever lied to the Holy Spirit in the church since then? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, right. So, but God's not judging the same way. He's laying it on heavy, bam, the first time to show everybody, I, mean, I, I really am I'm, serious. I'm real, I mean, yeah. business. So, I do wonder when you're when you're saying that, uh, you know, like uh, for example, Noah building the boat or Abraham going to this land. You know, did God say audibly once, "Noah, build this boat"? Here's the instructions. Go. And then he didn't technically speak that way again while Noah's building the ark. So, uh, or Abraham, go. I'll show you when you get there. And he doesn't speak again until. Later, yeah. um, so I'm wondering. I don't know if you're, what your thoughts are, but um, if God, I know there's a relationship that we we talk about now. But did God say it once and see how they would react to that one um, audible command, or was it like go? Yeah. And Abraham goes. He's like, I'm tired. I, go some more. Uh, keep going. <laughs> or, do, or do you think it's just a one time <laughs> go and see what happens? I would say the the one time go and see what happens. That's, that's what I'm kind of leaning towards. It only be, I say that because of my experience with God. He has spoken things to me in prayer, and it's like, God, did you really say that? And he never repeats himself. It's like <laughs> you either take it or you don't. <laughs> that's a good point. It's it's kind of like to, uh, talking with your, your wife. Yeah, you say something. If she if y'all were arguing and she said something you needed to hear, if you're caught up in your junk, she'll say it again. That's how people are. <laughs> right. But God is like, uh, you know what? I said it. And it's, that's what it is. And it, it's laid right there in your memory on the table. Well, it's like we were talking to someone Sunday and he, um, um, I think it was Sunday. And he talked about at the, at the table, he's, he was talking about, um, you know, sometimes God will speak and he knows that if he doesn't speak to that individual, because he's a salesman. And if he doesn't take that window of opportunity to speak to that customer, yeah. he's never going to see him again. And it's not like God will say, go talk to him, go talk to him, go talk to him, go talk to him. I want you to go talk to him. Yeah. There's a window. I mean, he's not going to keep like telling you, go, 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 go. You know what I mean? Yeah. You either 
obey or disobey. But he doesn't always say like an audible. Uh, it's a very, I mean, we say we're saying audible, but uh, there's a pastor I know, uh, Ron Vietti, who speaks about how uh, God can bypass the auditory nerves <laughs> and speak audibly straight into your mind without using your ears and that normal pathway for this world. But does God speak out loud so you could hear me if you were standing close enough? No, that's not what I'm what I'm saying, meaning when I say it. But uh, to me, it's still an audible. I can hear a voice say a sentence. But he's not really saying to me every single time when that window comes, uh, now, tell me now, talk to him now, <laughs> turn the conversation to Jesus now. <laughs> he, he doesn't. Oh, it doesn't happen that way. It's like there's a window. Right. It's, it's a real faint. Oh, I just noticed that's there. I should I should open it right now. Yeah. But it, it passes when it passes and it's done. But because uh, I won't kick you and force you and push you into this, going out her like you know you're like yelling at a dog or something. I mean he's yeah. just gonna, you know. I remember hearing a sermon which is really good about how God speaks in the stillness and the quietness. That we could be it could be quiet where we are physically, but God's voice is still as loud as can be to um, obey. But sometimes it's not like a. I mean it's not like a. Uh, go, 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 like we were just talking about. It's a, yeah. here's what I want you to do. Yep. Now you either do it or you don't. I mean, that's totally your decision. Yeah. But God tells you what to do. I find myself doing that sometimes with, uh, if a guy at work asks me a question about how you do this, because I'm not figuring this out, how do you do it? And I tell him, and I realize that he, customers will do this too. They'll ask you a question they want to know the answer to, and then they'll start talking over you right immediately when you start giving the answer. And, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I'm going to tell you the answer. I'm going to tell you one time because you're not listening anyway. And you're going to ask me the question again, too. <laughs> you ever do that? Like, you somebody ask you a question, you start to give them the answer, they start talking over you. In a second or two, they ask you the same question again. Yeah. So a lot of times with that, I feel like, you know what? I just said it. Um, You're not listening anyway. You're not going to hear it anyway. So <laughs> that was it. So it's, the time's gone by. I, I got to go do something else. Bye. Right. So I, I kind of feel like God... And my life has been that way almost like I just said that and a, a, a time will go by or I'll be thinking, God, why aren't, why haven't you said anything to me? So it doesn't seem to come back and say, I told you this, you didn't do anything, but I know in my heart, uh, oh, the last thing you told me, yeah, I, I didn't do anything with that. <laughs> so why would you speak again? Right. Because I'm not listening. I think that's why the Bible says, you know, it was accredited accredited to Abraham uh, as yeah. righteousness is being obedient to that that voice. Yeah. I mean, you don't need a constant reminder, a constant push. You just, you're obedient to that one voice. He tells you to do something, you do it. That's good towards uh, well, something we talked about before podcast too is obeying, Abraham obeying, and then there being no law at that point yeah. given to man really, not not really a law system. Right. That you had talked about Abraham lying. Yeah. You want to introduce that for a second? Just sure. Go down um, so I was just, me and David were talking on podcasts about several things, but um, I asked David about the question of, you know, Abraham lies about Sarah because she's a very beautiful woman and he doesn't want to be killed and then take Sarah. She looked like Wonder Woman. <laughs> hey, she might have. <laughs> Wonder Woman is Israeli, so you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's what um, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and so so Abraham was like, you know, lie and tell them you're my sister, and then they'll still think you're beautiful. And because you're beautiful, because you're my sister, you know, 
they're going to give us things. You know, we're going to be blessed because of this, and they're not going to kill me. And so Abraham lies, and then, you know, if you know the story, um, Pharaoh finds out that Abraham lied, and he's like, why have you lied to me? I just took your wife as my wife, and now God's going to curse me, and cursing is happening to my people. Here, take your wife, take your stuff, and here— you know all the stuff that you communicate, uh, all the stuff that you've gathered since you've been here, and, and go, just leave. And so God blessed Abraham through Abraham's lying. And so um, I was telling David, you know, the law didn't come until much later with through Moses. And you know, I asked, why do you think God waited um, to give the law, and mm. um, what what boundaries were placed because. Abraham didn't have a written law. He didn't necessarily was lying wrong because God hadn't said, do not lie yet. Yeah. So that wasn't the question. Was it? I was just, oh, I, don't okay. think so. <laughs> no. I think I was drifting. <laughs> I was listening to you, but it says I'd already heard it. I wasn't paying as close attention. Sorry. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't really answer the question. I was just saying, you know, um, the law hadn't been and Abraham, you know, there's no strict law saying do not lie. So I didn't really talk about the inner. Um, yeah. We do want to get into that. Uh, as, as this, this little session goes on with the beginning of Abraham, we'll look at that because we want to get into covenants and stuff, but I guess I'll, I'll restate what my answer had been to you in a way. Uh, because we were talking about blessing going in into Abraham and through Abraham to his lineages even though there's no law and he's lying. But we had talked about at that point with there being a law written in the heart. Uh, Romans 2. This is uh, Romans uh, 2.12 through a couple of, let's see, 16. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, according to my gospel, as Paul writing this, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So you kind of see everyone being judged by at least some form of law, even if there isn't a written law. There's a law in our hearts. The Bible's got an answer for everything. It does. It does, <laughs> especially when it talks about itself. When I was first teaching, yeah, when I was first teaching teenagers, I had remember one asking me one time. Uh, somebody around the table asked a question, and I, I reached down beside me in my bag, and I got a notebook out, and I opened a couple of pages, and I got another notebook out, opened a couple of pages. And I finally found a third or fourth notebook that had an answer in it. And one of the other people said, so do you have like an answer for everything we might ask? <laughs> Honestly, I sit at home and think what I used to mess with people, with Christians as a teenager. Yeah. And I've tried to come up with answers for those as are logical answers out of the scripture. So in a way, yeah, I try to cover any subject matter that they might want to ask about is at that age range. And usually there's no new question. No, no, usually no, Usually no. it's just no. the same old stuff. They're people... asking the same junk that I was messing with. Sure, yeah. But the only reason I would get ahead is if I ask a Christian who didn't know their Bible. They just said they were Christian, and they said they believed it. 
<laughs> they never read it. Right. I, just, I believe every page. <laughs> I don't need to read it. I believe it all. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's see. I was going to go towards. What did you have next? I said it was going to segue nice. <laughs> oh, kind of about uh, families. The extended family of Abram will be blessed, and about Ishmael being a part of the extended family, and about Islam being a part of that process. You know, do you want to hit that now? Yeah, or? yeah let's go that that direction. So, just re say what I just said. Um, so, yeah, so, we need this podcast to be longer, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so, God says He will bless uh, families, and which includes extended families of Abram. And part of that extended family is Ishmael, which, um, where the religion Islam comes from, and, and you know, they're completely um, different and and they have that, uh, I can't think of the word, not more than a division, I guess, hatred. Of sorts, animosity yeah. is a good word. Yeah, so so I was asking David, you know, what he th- what he thought about the blessing. Does God's blessing still rest on Islam and the Muslims, or is that kind of cut off and the blessing strictly goes only through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Good night. <laughs> no, I was uh, just thinking about that. No, the blessing of God does not go through the religion of Islam, just like the blessing of God does not go through the religion of Judaism, just like the blessing of God does not go through Christianity's religion, Catholicism or Protestantism or Orthodoxy or any of the little right. Pentecostalism, When you, if you take it as a religion, if you really worship it, if you worship your denomination, if you worship your religion, you're not worshiping the God of your religion. None of them bless you at all. Only the Messiah. Only Messiah is the blessing. He is the only answer for it. So we had talked earlier before we started the tape rolling here. Is it the, is it the tape? It's, it's, <laughs> it's a cassette. Yeah. I recorded a cassette and then I put it on the computer. Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so people can download it digitally. Because that's the digitally? best quality. What's that? Yeah. Zeros and ones and stuff. <laughs> Um, we, we shouldn't joke around like that. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> anyway, so no religion brings a blessing. But here's the question then. Why does the whole world have religions everywhere? Right? Sure, yeah. We're trying to link up with some spirituality. And we believe there is a person or of some kind. Even false religions believe there's a person right. behind their their beliefs. There's some kind of spiritual person personality behind it. And I say false religion as in there are many things, uh, spirits behind uh, the creation behind what's the word I should use. We've talked before about the, the mist or the curtain between us and the spiritual realm. Right. There's many spiritual beings behind that. They're not all, be, even though they're all Elohim by definition, uh, they're not, the L, or not the God of gods. Right. Uh, all of the faiths that trickle down from Abraham also claim there's a single God. We all claim some kind of difference in that nature of existence. But uh, either way, there is something in man that says we got to have religion. 
Yeah. And there's something in most of these religions that says, uh, if we want to get close to the God of this religion, we have to do something. <coughs> Why do you have to do something? Because you did something wrong and you got to pay for it. So yeah. every every island religion you see on some old movie, when people come there on a boat and they shipwreck and there's headhunters there or whatever, <laughs> they take them up to the volcano and they throw one of them in as a sacrifice to their God. They're trying to appease. That's always the story, right? Right. So, I mean, that, isn't that what happened with Indiana Jones? <laughs> <laughs> they're not doing anything wrong. Right. But they're looked at as a bad guy because we don't, you know. Yeah. But they are trying to do something to yeah. pay for what they believe they've done, which was wrong. Every religion is doing that. Yeah. Because every, every religion is a system of works. Well, we, and we carry guilt, whether, you know, we're monks or, or we're trying to get that peace and in, inner self. We all carry this guilt because we've all done something wrong. Yeah. And there's got to be a way to fix that wrong. And some people believe the karma deal. Some people believe. Well, the funny thing is people who believe in the karma deal don't believe that they, most people don't believe there's original sin. They don't believe in that doctrine right. that Christianity does. So if you don't have anything wrong and you had not done any sin, why don't you already have peace? That's and why true. are you working so hard through meditation, et cetera, and controlling your breathing, lighting a certain candles and burning yeah. certain incense, listening to certain music with certain frequencies? Why are you going through all that to find inner peace if you haven't done anything wrong, nothing wrong in you? It just rewinds back to the inner law that you read about in Romans 2. We yeah. all have that. And yeah. this is from the God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The God of, I won't say the God of Christianity, but it's the God where Christianity was born out of. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're talking about the blessing, you know, the extended blessing, I was thinking when you were talking, it just, it, the point hit me where, <clears throat> you know, we think, you know, blessing to extended families and to these people, through these families, through these nations and all this. But really the whole purpose of that blessing was for, for the Messiah to come out from yeah. the people. Yeah. And for God to have a people to worship him. Yeah. And that was the whole point of this blessing. It wasn't like you're talking about. It's not necessarily, it's not even talking about, I don't think it's even really calling out you know, Abraham being special or Isaac being special or Jacob being special and Joseph or Joseph and so forth, because they're just human beings that God simply chose. Yeah. They are not special. The one who chose them is special. Right. And yeah. it's him that gives that blessing. So was uh Deuteronomy seven, seven is one I like. I think that's it. Deuteronomy seven, seven. It was not because this is God speaking to Moses. It was not because, or through Moses to the people of Israel, I guess, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Verse 8, but it is because, here's the answer, the Lord loves you. Hmm. It's got nothing to do with you. It's because God just loves you. It's real Galatians 5.1. Christ set you free for freedom. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's that's it. It's not a not a really a trick to it. Not an agenda behind it. Um talking about the blessing though, there's a little note I got on my uh Jewish study Bible. Genesis twelve, one through three. The comment is the universalism, that meaning that everybody gets treated the same. The universalism that marked Genesis chapters one through eleven have now failed. The Lord begins anew singling out one Mesopotamian, that being Abraham. Uh, what the Lord promises Abram, land, numerous offspring, and blessing, 
constitutes to a large extent a reversal of some of the curses on Adam and Eve, exile, pain, and childbirth, and uncooperative soul. So he promises him land. He exiled them from a place. Mm-hmm. He promises him numerous offspring, but Eve got a curse of pain and childbirth. He promises them blessing, and they got uncooperative soul. They'll have to work by the sweat of their brow now. Mm. So there's in the promise to Abram, there's a reversal of the curse already beginning itself. Mm. So uh, on the issue of uh, Ishmael, though, Hebrews goes on out to point because uh, I, I I got a little notes there. I'm not going to spend time in them, but it's through the uh, chapter 11 in Hebrews, the Hall of Faith. Mm-hmm. Hebrews goes uh, on to point out the narrowing lineage from Abraham to Isaac, not Ishmael, to Jacob, not Esau, to Joseph, to Moses, and to the Israelite Exodus to leave Egypt and possess uh, possess the promised land. Just narrowing down there as far as who's the descendant, who's going to get the blessing, who's going to get the covenant. Because there was a covenant given to Abraham. Uh, we'll read those out in a second, Genesis 12 and 15. But in Genesis 21, 12, God tells uh, Abram, or at that point, Abraham, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. It is because of his link to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make a a nation of him, but it's through Isaac your offspring will be named. Uh, But to establish the line of blessing that flowed from Abram on down for the covenant of land, we go back to Genesis 12, 3. This is God speaking, I will bless those who bless you and honor those who dishonor you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. This is the, the... one of the, the things I was grabbing here for a, a messianic promise, but in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Excuse me. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When they came, this is verse five, when they came to the land of Canaan, verse six, at Shechem. I'm just trying to keep down the details. Yeah. Verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram. He appeared to him at Shechem and said, to your offspring, I give this land. So God is coming to Abraham. He's saying at one point, I'm going to give you this land. You're standing here. Where is Shechem? It's smack dab in the middle of of Israel. This is where after Joshua comes in with the children of Israel and conquers the whole land, they go and meet everybody at Shechem. Right. That's where they actually you know roll the dice to see who's getting what land parcel given to what tribe, etc. That's where he makes his famous speech. When you go out of here, my house and I, we're going to serve the Lord. Y'all can do what you want to. Just make a decision and do it. Yeah, I, I put for Shechem just real quick. But the territory is more occupied uh, by tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. The covenant renewal happens in Shechem, Joshua twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um, the burial of Joseph is in Shechem, Joshua twenty four thirty two. Um, Shechem became a holy city, holy city of the Samaritans in three hundred BC until the Jews destroyed it in one hundred seven BC. Uh, Amalek's reign was from Shechem, Judges nine. Um, the roads um, in Shechem were, are described in Judges 21 and Jeremiah 41. The roads? The roads, the pathway. Huh. And then uh, Joshua 20 talks about Shechem as a city of refuge. So there's a lot of... Um, also, uh, Shechem... You, hmm? Can I ask you one thing? You sure. gave a... This is, I guess, a side. Yeah. This is my personal. I was wrong. I want to know what you just said. Joseph was buried in Shechem? 
Yes. Where was it? Where you said Joshua 24, 18? 32. 32. Look at there. <laughs> I submitted a paper for one of my classes a while back about, what was the town name? Arba. Uh, the town of Hebron. Oh. Yeah. So I submitted a paper about it theorizing because I couldn't find where Joseph was born. I didn't, I've never noticed this, I guess. <laughs> so either way with Joseph, it would have been four patriarchs there buried in, in Hebron that would have given it a number four, which was the old name. Hmm. I didn't know if they were related or not, but I made some theor uh, theorization on that. My teacher either didn't read it or didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> Just give it a grade. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and, and, uh, Edit that then for sure. <laughs> and then resubmit it to another guy. <laughs> there you go. And Shechem was also in a location that allowed it to control commercial and military traffic where it was positioned. So. When I was uh, at the other church, it was Methodists. Methodists have lay speaking or lay speakers, mm -hmm. which is basically the laity of the churches, the everybody you know, sitting in the pews, go, you know, some of those can choose they can go do it if they want to take special classes to learn basically how to make an average sermon i was a lay speaker and for a while at my church a lay speaking or a lay leader um you're expected if the preacher goes on a vacation or has to go if they get called on wednesday to go to do a you know see a family that somebody's died at right you need to do wednesday night service you need to be ready to take the reins and do whatever that preacher would have done or needs to be done so in all that, my in my first late speaking class ever, the first sermon I ever wrote was about uh, Joshua 24, how he says, uh, as for me and my house, will serve the Lord. And I did a little bit of word study on Shechem there. Shechem means shoulder. It is a, it's a peak part of the ridge. It lays between uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Ebal and Gerizim is where the curses and the blessings were stated when the, hmm. when the tribes came into the land. And I think the arrangement physically was that the Levites were split with them and the tribes were split and they go to each mountain or the Levites, maybe the tribes split to each mountain top and the Levites were in the middle. Maybe way they were reading off the curses and the blessings that Moses had written down. And basically they would say, amen. So the, between the curses and the blessings is Shechem. Shechem is shoulder. So I played off the uh, the idiom of shouldering a responsibility because there there's there's a kind of a uh, a figurative sense of that word in the Hebrew use to shoulder responsibilities to actually if you make a decision mm -hmm. and it comes out unfavorable for you to keep your word is to shoulder the responsibility anyway. Hmm. So Joshua was saying there, choose, make a decision that you're going to serve this God or you're going to serve our God. And shoulder that responsibility as you walk away from here. Shechem it. That's, that's kind of what I had. I just thought it was neat also that it was between those two other particular mountains. That's interesting. Land covenants? Uh, you mind if I do one more thing real quick? Since we'll we're probably, on Shechem? Sure, go ahead. Because um, when it talks about Shechem, it also talks about the oak or the tree of Moray. Mora, yeah, yeah. Mora. Um, 
I put that Mora could mean teacher, diviner, or archer. Jacob buried idols under the tree of Shechem. Um, Joshua set up stones under a tree at Shechem as witnesses for a pact. Joshua again, 24, 26. Um, Abimelech crowned king at an oak in Shechem, Judges 9, 6. Uh, the attacks to Shechem came from uh, the direction of a diviner's oak, Judges 9.37, and um, Gilgal is also at Shechem, Deuteronomy 11.30. So it's kind of interesting little, you know, I don't know if, you know, all these things that happened at a tree um, near Shechem, you know, the the crowning yeah. and, and the idols, but it's a good little thought that it could be the same tree or something there. I was thinking it was the Oaks of Mamre. Where is that coming? That must be, that's, okay, the Oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, they are in chapter 14. Sorry, I didn't mean to go that far ahead. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> didn't mean to give the story away. Good night. <laughs> We're done. We can't make any money off of this now. <laughs> I didn't know we were. <laughs> oh, forgot to tell you. <laughs> forgot to tell you, I've been making millions. Here's your quarter. <laughs> Uh, okay. I was going to go basically off of because we'll be back and forth anyway. Yeah. With Abram and Abraham, we'll be back and forth with the issue of uh, land and covenants and descendants and the blessing, etc. So I was going to go into land covenant for a moment. Um, I already read twelve three, and just wanted to bleed off of that into Genesis fifteen eighteen which is the same covenant said again. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the, the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Rephaim, the Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Uh, and by the way, the Jebusites that are named last there, Yebus, Yebushi, the people of Yebus, those that's the same place uh, that Jerusalem is, older name. So as we jump forward, because I wanted to follow to who this goes to, Isaac. Genesis 26, 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. So, And, I, and I'm inserting this note. This establishes the context of the same land. 26, 2. And the Lord said to him, 26.3, I'm skipping some details so we can get to the, the real point. Right. Sojourn in this land. To, the, to your offspring, I will give these lands. I will multiply your offspring and will give to your offspring all these lands. So in case Isaac wasn't sure what was going to go on there, God was saying, I'm going to give all these, your offspring these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Just like he told Abraham about the families of the earth. Jacob, that was 26. We go to Genesis 28, 13. And to Jacob, God is speaking. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 14, verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city uh, was Luz at first. So this is Bethel. We can trace where Bethel is. I didn't write down where Isaac is, but I want to say he's in Gerar. It's nearer to Gaza. Yeah. And there where Abraham uh, basically gets that is 
I'm losing my train of thought. Where was it? He was at Shechem. <laughs> talked, to, talked about Shechem for so long. Like, I don't remember what I talked about Shechem for. <laughs> but on a lot of that, though, I wanted to kind of look at uh, just the covenant and how it trickled down specifically, not to anyone else, not to Abraham's other sons. And we could go to, does he have six or seven sons after Sarah dies? Hold on. He, let's see, Sarah dies in Genesis 23. He is Simran, Jokshan, Medan, Median, Ishbak, and Shua. You should name your next kid Ishbak. So he has six. Yeah. After Isaac and Ishmael. So, um, but what happens here? I mean, why didn't Ishmael get a blessing? Why didn't Zimran get a blessing? Why not Shua? What's, what's going on with these kids? And why, why aren't they getting what Isaac's getting, right? Yeah. So Genesis 25, 1, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him those sons. And then it starts going through the lineage. Yokshan, father of Sheba, and Dedan, the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, Laomim. And he keeps on going for a bit. Let's see. Uh, in the verse 4, all these were the children of Keturah. Verse 5, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So these kids aren't getting a blessing. Not really. I mean, they're probably going to become something because, like uh, Ishmael got, they're sons of Abraham. Yeah. But I, uh, part of these, one of them, I, I say, I, well, actually, Yokshan, and Shua do have some, because uh, Yokshan have Sheba. Sheba and Shua have some uh, dealings with the dating of Job because of some of the other names that come throughout the book. So uh, they, they do become somebody there who a, a people group becomes named after. Either way, uh, so just following it down through Isaac to Jacob. What was the, let's see the little note I had back here. I just wanted the, the, the reference over to Galatians then and spend a little few minutes there. Galatians is a, is a well, there goes some bookmarks flying on the floor. <laughs> I'll never find that page again. <laughs> <laughs> it was page 463. Oh, yeah. Okay. In the 900s. Who placed it over there? I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's look at Galatians 3. 16, and we'll skip a little bit through uh, 3 and 4. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. This is Paul teaching this. I, I thought the first time I ever heard this, this was some clever modern preacher. <laughs> no, he, just, he was just reading Galatians. It does not say, it's Galatians 3.16, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but, to referring, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So this is what I meant. The law, which came 430 years afterward, is not, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise. For God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So he goes on there a little bit. Paul goes on there a little bit, just establishing that the, uh, the promise and the blessing and uh, the inheritance, all things that are good that God wants to give us comes through Christ, through the offspring. And he's just 
narrowing down that Isaac, even though he was the son of promise, is not the end of all ends. But what I want to look at here, just to make a distinction between uh, the sentences, is uh, Galatians 4, 21. Again, yeah, we just finished that chapter out. It's, it's 10 or 11 verses there. Okay. But it makes some distinguishment between uh, Hagar and Sarah. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written about Abra- that, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was co- born, according, uh, born through promise. And this may be interpreted allegorically. So for all those preachers who say you can't allegorize the Bible, (laughs) Paul did. But anyway, (laughs) let's keep on going. Uh, Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the child of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. He's speaking you brothers as in you Christians. Like brothers are children of the promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And just to cap it off with uh, Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Yeah, I mean, if you if you start with Christ and go backwards, the Messiah's lineage doesn't go through Ishmael. No. It goes through this line where the blessing yeah. comes from. So if you follow if you follow it backwards, then you see where where the lineage of Christ comes from, which of course, you know, Islam doesn't really put Jesus above Muhammad. So that probably wouldn't work with them very well. I mean, yeah, the way they uh, prized Muhammad, you would follow back through Ishmael. Yeah. Uh, the Qureshi people claim they are direct descendants of Ishmael. Right. So, uh, but the, the thing is here, I, I want to go back on it for just a second because it goes with, uh, and Mark and I were discussing this. I don't know how, if, I'm, if I'm saying it right, if I'm saying it in a, in a way that makes it understandable, but, not that it is necessarily a doctrine or a written-down doctrine, but some things are almost understood because you see it so often in the Bible. So this thing where, as we said a while ago, Abraham is not the firstborn, but he gets he's the blessed one of God. Um, yeah. Isaac is not the firstborn. He's the blessed one of God, though. Jacob is not the firstborn. He's the blessed one of God. So as we went through there, the, through the, all the lineages we've looked at before already, there's not a lot of firstborn in the Bible that are blessed by God, even though there are some, right. not a lot of firstborn. His firstborn is the blessed one. As far as we know, Noah was a firstborn. There are some that are firstborn, but mostly uh, David, Solomon, I mean, yeah. Moses. 
Those are all, those are all not Abraham is those are all not firstborn. Seth, after Cain kills Abel, they have Seth. That's the, there's your third son to go on and trickle down from there. So uh, just with all that said, what we just now read in Galatians four, uh, twenty one through five one, the first one to be born was the son of the slave woman. I think it's pretty neat too if if you pay attention through that. The slave woman is named so that you're still in allegory mode. Like Hagar is the the woman who bears slavery. Or, yeah, she's the one who brings slavery. She is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She is present Jerusalem. And then he says, the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. He never names Sarah. He makes an allegory like he's going to suggest her, but he never actually pins it on Sarah. Like it does, like the blessing, the inheritance does not boil down to a human woman mm. any more than it boils down to a human man like Abraham. That's good. I know, it yeah, boils down to a God man. <laughs> so, but there's there's a whole lot of stuff in that one little spot right there. I really like a lot. I just set it out. Galatians as a whole. If you're sitting there listening to us in, in your mind, questioning that uh, what blessing is apart from religion and apart from the law, et cetera, spend time in Galatians. Just turn this off right now. Don't listen to anything as we got yeah. to say in Galatians. Yeah. It lays out a lot of stuff that's that's major important about inheritance and about who we are in Christ and that doing and keeping the law is not the key to getting into heaven. That doesn't yeah. unlock the door. Yeah. Let's see. That kind of covers land covenants. I think we've, We've kind of looked at Abraham's doubts some, or did we? Not really. I guess this is a good segue for what we just now said then. Abraham's doubts come, why? Because of his flesh. Doubts come because of a lack of faith. His blessing comes because of faith. So it. it uh, let's see, Genesis 12.10. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Notice the contrast back here, uh, Genesis 26 that we just read. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine. Blah, blah, blah. The Lord said to him, blah, 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 sojourn in this land. Like, hey, Isaac, uh, whatever you do right now during this famine, don't go anywhere. (laughs) 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 That ends bad. (laughs) Uh, So it goes downhill from here. Doubts for provision. Amidst the famine led him to Egypt. Doubts for protection amidst the world led to losing Sarah and then regaining her with Hagar. The fact they have her then, doubts in God's promise to provide a child led to surrogate mothering through Hagar birthing Ishmael, which brings us to Islam. I mean, we're not trying to throw Islam under the bus either way individually here, but we do want to loop it or link it all together. Lop it together. Yeah, we want to throw it all in the same bucket with every religion of works. Right. Every single religion is is works. I don't think I've ever, you know, sat and spent hours to make sure, but that's probably one of the few general broad statements you can make. Every religion is a religion of works, a system of works. Yeah. Except for Christianity. Right. What it's based on is based on someone else's works, not your own. Right. But, uh, so, I mean, all those, all the, the lack of faith and the doubts trickles us down to, the, I guess this is, this is going to polarize more Muslim leaders, but this doubt of 
faith that are Muslim leaders, but Muslims, this doubt of faith that Abraham had, that Sarah had, leads to Ishmael, leads to Muhammad, leads to Islam, leads to ISIS, leads to invasions into other. Uh, Islam is still going. They, Islam basically started. We've already talked about slavery in mm-hmm. Africa. Yeah, Islamic nations after the, after the Egyptians were buying. Uh, more southern neighbors of their own and selling them off as slaves. Uh, when Islam came along, Islam started selling off more southern neighbors or uh, around Kenya and Zanzibar, that those areas started buying slaves. They're still doing it today. It's a religion of slavery. Every religious system is in some form slavery. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. It clicks in my mind often when I, I think about somebody I just talked to or just met like at work, and I, I walk off, and I'm driving off, or leaving a customer's house, or something. And I was just in a home, and I'm talking to a person, just knowing and seeing who they are, at least on a surface level. Most people think they are free. If you ask someone if they're free, just ask them a plain question. They're probably going to say, "Yeah, I'm free." They may even say with attitude and kick it at you. <laughs> but in a basic sense, most of us are not free. And I used to tell my teenagers I taught at the last church, uh, everybody is a slave to something. It's just that I know I have picked a good master. Hmm. If you're addicted to cigarettes, they're your master, right. and they're killing you. And if you get saved and you become a Christian, if you become addicted to Jesus, he is your master. You're his slave. It's just that he's the only good master. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think of uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption, which is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the clip where I can't remember his name now, but the old man um, has been in prison for so long and um, he finally gets parole and he's sent out in the world and he ends up killing himself. And um, when they, when the other prisoners get news of their friend um, hung himself, um, you know, one guy didn't really understand, you know, why would you do that? And uh, Morgan Freeman, he plays a guy named red. He, he talks about how, um, when you're in here long enough, these walls, um, they talk funny. They, they seem funny. Because, and and as, as you th- as you listen to the, the conversation, it basically says the longer you're in here, the more comfortable you are. And this is um, this is your life. And you kind of feel a sense of freedom. Yeah. But you really you forget you're in prison. Cause you've been there so long, you're, you get so used to this routine, you wake up and, and you have a job and the you bird. have a lunch. Yeah. And yeah. you just get used to this. And so it doesn't become prison anymore. It's just life. It's, and then when you get out in the old, when you're really free, he didn't know what to do because he didn't understand what really true freedom was. And he got scared of it. And I think people, you know, <clears throat> bound in this and, they think they're free, but they go through this routine, you know. Um, well, you know, there's so many religions out there to tell you how to deal with your guilt, and I feel fine. Um, you're believing all these things because you're caged. That's that's your your your. Yeah. That's what the warden, uh, you know, the warden in your in your life or speaking in your life is saying, it, and you become even though you can go out in a car and go to another state or you know choose what to do with your money, you're still kind of caged in a sense and you don't really know what freedom is until yeah you really meet christ i mean well everywhere you are when you the phrase we use comfort zone 
your comfort zone is what you would normally, you're okay in doing. You're, that's your cage. You're free to do things outside your comfort zone, but usually don't. Hmm. None of us usually do. Uh, yeah. It's it's a cage of comfort. It's I mean it's, it's programmed in the matrix, obviously. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, looking at covenants, though, just a moment, just following through. This is a a note I got from the Schofield Bible. The Schofield Bible, the notes I look at a lot are big on using the word dispensation, dispensation, dispensation over and over again. So it makes a whole lot of divisions throughout the the context of what I've read so far in it. Just looking at some of the notes. But as God is calling Abram out to a separate covenant, the rest of the nations are left under a different dispensation. So uh, from the beginning, God comes uh, to man and basically gives the Adamic or Adam covenant. They move from there on to the Noahic or Noah covenant. Abram on through the Jewish nation take a different road towards the Mosaic covenant and eventually the Davidic covenant. Uh, is formed, and both trickled down. If you go back uh, and look at it, they they trickled back down together at the cross. So then there's the New Testament or the New Covenant. The New Covenant is based on the Messianic Covenant, if you want to call it that. But uh, the point that the, the Schofield Bible notes were making and the commentary was making that if we don't go towards the Messianic or the Christ Covenant, the New Covenant done by the cross, we're still under a Mosaic covenant or we're still under the Noahic covenant. So you're still under some kind of law. Hmm. If you're not under, and I think there's a place or two that uh, Paul refers to it as the law of freedom or the law of love. I think the law of love. The law of love. I think I'm wrong on law of freedom, but I don't think if we were talking to Paul right now about it, if he would disagree that it could be called a law of freedom in a way. Right. But, uh, I wonder to, you know, to you and I sitting here, I'll say out loud in front of the listener who may be a non-believer. I wonder how we sound saying you don't know freedom until you know Christ. I mean, <laughs> we that sounds so Christian. Yeah, it does. It's there's not really any other way to say it though, besides the fact that, um, I'm not describing to you an apple I haven't tasted, or a you know. I'm not describing to you watermelon like I have never tasted it. I, right. I have tasted it. I'm telling you there's no there's no replacement for me telling you what it smells like and tastes like and et cetera. Right. And I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, when we talk about freedom, you know, a lot of people, you know, some even, even believers, um, you know, when they, when they think or, or accept this concept of freedom, they think it's a license to do what we want or. We're not under the law, so we don't have to obey certain rules yeah, and that's regulations. That's why I don't obey any laws anymore. Well, good. <laughs> yeah, go, uh, go 65 by a school bus when it stops and just have fun with that. And, and the, the answer to the officer is, no, I'm Christian. <laughs> I can do this. I'm not under the law. I can handle this, man. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um but, you know, I think people sometimes ha have a misconception of what freedom really means. It doesn't mean that we don't get to, you know, and then on the other side, you know, um, when I would meet several people and, and they grew up in church or had an idea of church or Christianity. And and I remember talking to a lot of atheist friends on, on Skype that I've met through over the years. And, um, you know, they would ask me questions like, um, you know, well, 
there's a lot of things you can't do, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? And like, well, you can't do this, this, and this. And and so you have an extreme of you can't do anything fun. You can't do anything, you know, joyful. You're limited on um, your freedom, even though we're free. And then you have the other extreme of we're liberated. We're free. We can do whatever we want. We're not bound by law. But when we talk about freedom in Christ, there is um, – it's really hard to explain it. It's a difference. It's not, it's not about – obeying these laws or rules or not obeying laws and rules. There is, I think it goes back to what we talked about the guilt of sin. It's, um, you know, the wrongdoings that you do, um, you know, if you do a wrong and sometimes it eat, eats at you and there's nothing you do about it. Well, this is the freedom and the liberation from that to where you don't have to carry that guilt. Um, it doesn't mean you, it, it doesn't mean that the feeling of, being crappy that you did something wrong goes away when you ask God for forgiveness. But there yeah. is a certain sense of, I don't know how to say it, liberation. I, unwaiting. I really, hmm? There's a certain sense of unwaiting. Nah. We used to use that term in skateboarding when we were younger. Um, you unweight yourself to do some tricks, meaning you you don't literally jump up, but you 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 rise up enough, quickly enough, to take weight off your feet and take the weight off the board to be able to do something. Well, you would just use that term, unweight yourself. Mm. But there's, I do remember getting saved at that time, there being a feeling of weight that was pushing down on my back and shoulders. It seemed of the weight of life seemed to be taken off. And I was just noticing when you were speaking there, I don't remember really ever thinking about the term joy before I was saved. I just I don't remember ever making the distinction between joy and happiness. Not me. And that's two things that uh, you'll hear preachers and many any, any regular Christian talking about. There's a difference in joy and happiness. I, I was happy all the time. I was not happy all the time, more often. Yeah. But uh, I got I think I've said it before. That's one of the main things though he took from me uh, when I got saved was. Uh, taking me out of that black pit of, de- of depression. Yeah. Emotional and mental issues is what he took me out of because that was the main thing pushing and pressing down and crushing me in this world. So he took me out of that. The, uh, the occasional light I might see when my head would pop up above the water for a moment in life back then, I would have termed happiness. I'm happy today. Yeah. But now... I don't have those kinds of number one. I don't have those kinds of deeps anymore into darkness. It just right. doesn't happen the same way. Even when <laughs> I guess part of it also though, is when I have a not good day, I am down under with God. Yeah. When I didn't have any kind of, even a recollection of a personal relationship, I was still searching for God all the time. I was still religious very much and still honestly trying to, I prayed all the time before I was Christian. Hmm. And you say, well, what were you praying to? <laughs> I was praying to what I believe were gods. They, I can't name a time they responded to me. I can't name a time prayers were answered or I saw their hands moved. As I describe now, I say I see God's hand move. Yeah. I don't remember a time like that. But I tried for uh, years to pray. Uh, I mean, the same kind of things you hear Christians saying, like, thank you, God, for this day in the morning. Yeah. I would ask for stuff like that or pray stuff like that, you know, try to play a, a blessing out of those gods for my day. 
and protection, et cetera, <laughs> and guidance. But uh, that's the main thing I, I remember him taking me out of, is taking me out of the blackness and the darkness in the pit. And now when I do dip down occasionally on a low emotional day, I have God with me. Right. Some of those old visits to the old times, they come rare now, but when they come, they're a much different experience with him. For the most part, though, I never never thought about joy. <laughs> I didn't either. Well, but, like, you, you know, you dealt with depression. I dealt with depression, too. You know, um, you know, I've shared a story with a few people, but, you know, I remember um, in middle school, I was, I was so depressed. I went in my brother's room, and he had a pistol in his room, and I just pulled it, pulled it back and put it to my mouth and pulled the trigger. And click. Press it again. Click. And then I opened it, and there was, like, two bullets in there, and I just happened to miss the other three or four um, that didn't have a bullet in there. Hmm. And it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> I mean, I was still alive, but it freaked me out that uh, I almost just killed myself. But I was just, I was just so depressed and, and um, I didn't know how to deal with the depression at the time. And um, this is when I kind of started to learn how to write poetry. And it was my, the poetry helped, but it didn't help. Like I got all my feelings out. I talked into a lot of symbolism. So people just, saw it you know they might pick up that it was like something's wrong with this kid or he feels depressed but they wouldn't understand what every all the symbolism meant um and when i got saved i would feel i would i would feel pressure or um have these low moments where you're dealing with a lot of stuff and you have this anguish or lamenting but there isn't like you talk about there isn't this uh heaviness or this darkness that you're going through you're still feeling this um uh, I don't know this this feeling of being weighed down, but um, you know, people say, "Well, you use you know, you just use God as a crutch." Well, you're darn right, I use God as a crutch. Yeah. Um, you know, when I have nothing, you know, I have poetry to lean on. I had, um, you know, I I was trying to do like <laughs> in witchcraft. that sense, everybody's got a crutch. Yeah, I was they trying just, to do witchcraft. Yeah, and I was trying to put these spells and figure out spells, and yeah. I couldn't get to work, and I was getting frustrated and. Um, but yeah, man, like, you know, when I'm down in the dumps and I pray to this guy that I've never seen before that, um, I've never seen or touched or, but I pray and I cry out to him and I lament and I share my frustrations and it's not from, uh, a, a, a sense of sat, uh, a sense of darkness or a sense of that, uh, that, um, that cave moment, I guess, where you just are drowned in your own emotions but it, it's just a little bit different it's hard to explain yeah there's a at one point you were saying something the word withness came to me there is a withness i am with someone i'm not alone in this darkness yeah is i think the major major change for me um well that's the major change for me when it comes the major change for me is it hardly ever comes anymore <laughs> so right. i think i i, I spent around I marked it off as about seven years in that that pit that I remember. Mm. I mean, it was it was straight. There was a. I don't want to go into a whole lot of that. <laughs> there was a, a a particular event that it was basically based around, and then when that event had happened and and passed, other events might relieve it for a while. But when those events would fall, myself would always go back to that first event again. Everything that I was was tied to that one event and the breaking of it. 
and myself would always go back to that. And it was just, there was, there was complete hopelessness because you always wanted to get back to that event, to that time. If you could unbreak it and fix it and make it, if that you can make it exist again, but you can't. And that's what the hopelessness was of it. It's gone. It's done forever. Yeah. The only thing that ever kept me from trying suicide as much as I wanted to was the fact that I'm always afraid I'm going to miss something tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I've always had that feeling no matter what. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't want to miss it. It might be good. (laughs) (laughs) I had, you know, I had often, I had thoughts of suicide a lot, but that was the only time I actually tried it and freaked me out after it didn't work. And I'm like, I'm done. I'll just stay depressed or whatever. I'd rather just slow depressed and try that again. Cause yeah, you know, well, uh, and and I always think I want to miss something. I remember thinking when I was a kid, like at home in the bed with the flu, as bad as I felt, I would always think, I don't know if I'm going to have this for another day or five days or seven days, but I know by the time <laughs> I'm 80 years old, this will have been long gone and I'll forget about it. I remember thinking that often when I was sick as a kid. <laughs> wow. When I get old, this will have been gone by then. So this is not that important and that big of a deal. <laughs> That's a good thought. That's interesting. <laughs> but on the depression, I remember always picturing myself as uh, a rock. In a river. And as the river was washing over me and everything, I realized that water over time smoothed the rock. So I just always had this picture of myself as a a, a stone or a rock in the a fast flowing water. And that I was not trying to get out of the river. I would just basically hunker down in a way, let it flow over me, and as it did, uh I just I guess I kinda hoped or figured it would eventually smooth me and round me. <laughs> so Abraham <laughs> we're talking about freedom and disobedience and yeah I don't have any of that stuff we just said in my notes I don't or, either I don't know where to segue next we just went well I'll say a few I'll just say a few <laughs> things Um. well I'll, I'm going to talk about the altar next, in our next podcast so I'm going to skip that but um, two things I want to mention Bethel and AI um, yeah. Bethel means house of God um and AI means ruins. Um, Abraham builds the second altar between Bethel and AI. So I put that uh, Abraham built an altar between the house of God and the ruins. So just a little interesting. And Negev, um, just running through a few notes here. Um, Negev is based on the root word on a root word which means dry. There was a lot of uh, interpretations in the past have suggested it meant south wind or beside such as in the Septuagint. Um, but the root word they found that really means dry. Um, Negev is shaped like an hourglass, which I, which I think is just kind of funny. What do you mean? Hmm? The oh, shape the of the land yeah. area. Okay. Yeah, Geographically. Like um, Negev is useful for shepherds, but not so much for farmers because the dryness of the land, there's limited water resources. Um, there's a very hot desert climate. Um, very little rain takes place there. Um, but it is the main link in Judah's trading. So there's a little. So when Abraham goes to Negev, um, it's not just a nice flowery place. It's a place that's very hot, very little rain, um, hardly any water there. Um, and yet, you know, God's like, this is 
part of the promise. And and Abram builds wells there. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you you think this is the promised land. There's milk and there's honey and there's waterfalls and yeah. flowers and and ladies with little feathers, flaw, you know, waving you to cool well, you it, off. The ladies have to go over with a pitcher and dip out of the, the river of milk, <laughs> and the other one goes over to the river of honey and dips out of it. And they come over there to your couch you're laying on, and they pour them in your mouth at the same time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's what I thought it was about. Well, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's a pretty good th- theory. So, <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was interesting that it gives you more details as far as um, Abraham's journey that he's now in a place that's very dry and, and very lacking in water. So, um, and then, of course, the famine comes, and like David touched on, where he goes to Egypt. But, I was actually going to. Uh, I have some leftover notes here. Yeah, these are leftover notes. <laughs> Side B. <laughs> <laughs> but they touch on uh, Bethel and I for a moment. So, and I, I forget. This probably came out of uh, the Jonah issue with going out of the city east. I think that's why I came up with. Well, I wonder about east. I wonder about west. So I started looking it up. Yeah. The descendants that follow rebellion end up in Babylon East. Genesis eleven two. When God calls Abram out of Ur, he leaves the east and goes west. When he arrives in Canaan, he makes an altar to the Lord with Bethel, the house of God, on the west, and I, the heap of ruins, on the east. So west is good, east is bad so far. Uh Oh, excuse me. Going west is good. Bethel on the on the yeah, I said it right. I just want to make sure I, I recap it right. West uh, Bethel is good. Moses leads the flock, and he's and this is his father in law's flock of sheep. Leads his flock to the west side of Horeb and meets God there in the burning bush. Exodus three one. God brings the plague of locusts into Egypt with an east wind. The east wind brings the locust. Exodus ten thirteen, and he removes them with an, a west wind. Exodus ten nineteen. Uh, behind the tabernacle is west. Numbers three twenty three. I don't see what that actually says because I got it n- n- noted here, but I don't remember the wording of it. Numbers three twenty three. Mm, the clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle on the west. So it just gives you a detail there, linking that behind the tabernacle is on the west. Um, so walking into the tent, you would be walking west, into the presence of God. To leave the presence of God, to leave the, t- the tent, you got to walk east. So like I said, those are just leftover notes. I just figured they were good there because of Bethel and AI. That was pretty interesting. But, yeah. So we'll hit the altar next time. Start with the altar and continue on with Abram. Yeah. Farewell. Good day. We can take off our podcast hats now. <laughs> We're going to take off an offering now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Two Spies podcast with David and Mark. Don't forget to check out twospies.net for daily devotionals, writings on various topics, and separate Bible studies. Help us out by subscribing to the podcast, write a review on iTunes, and spread the word.